huye. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Oh, those Denver Nuggets. Man, I bet you if they heard some Zydeco, they'd be dancing this morning after they take a 108-103 victory over the Los Angeles Lakers last night. A great second half rally by the Nuggets led by Jamal Murray's 20-point fourth quarter performance. And the Nuggets now lead the Western Conference Finals two games to none. And even though we know, especially with these NBA playoffs, that we shouldn't put the cart before the horse, as my dad would say, it kind of feels like the Lakers are some real, real trouble. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I am the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parsh III, better known as RP3 course i'm joined inside the evco development studios here in upper lafayette by the producer extraordinaire dawson eiserlo we got a great show lined up for you today it's friday let's get happy let's have some fun let's get ready for the weekend a lot on tap today to dive into we're going to talk houston astros baseball with james yasko of the lima time time podcast he'll join us at seven o'clock at seven thirty we're going to be chopping it up with former Turlings Catholic star and southeastern Louisiana record-setting quarterback Cole Kelly. He's the starting quarterback for the Memphis Showboats since he became a starter. They're 2-1, by the way, have won back-to-back games heading into this weekend's contest. And then we'll talk with a raging Cajun football legend and a man who decided to go back to school and get his degree this semester Tyrell Fenroy will join us as well. So those are the guests we got lined up for you today. And we're going to touch on anything. Busy night on the diamond for college. LSU needs extra innings to beat Georgia. UL goes on the road and gets grand slammed by Southern Miss. And McNeese's Mr. Rogers sets a new program record for wins in a season. We'll dive into that. The PGA Championship. Huh? Bryson DeChambeau is near the top of the leaderboard after the first round of play. That's a bit of a surprise. And of course, we'll touch on the Raging Cajuns heading out to Baton Rouge for their regional. As we'll hear from Jerry Glasgow and some players before they left town yesterday. That's all on tap for you today as well. Poll question of the day is already up. You can go vote on that bad boy. Who will win the Baton Rouge Regional? It's a very straightforward poll question. No must, no fuss on this Friday edition of the show. Is it going to be the Tigers? Is it going to be the Cajuns? Who's going to win the Baton Rouge Regional? Go vote on that bad boy. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll share them throughout today's show. But We'll start off with the Western Conference Finals. 
Denver Nuggets, Lakers. A superb, magnificent performance in game one by Jokic gave the Nuggets that game. But it just wasn't him. As magnificent as his triple-double was in the first game of this series, he had help. Every other starter scored in double figures, and they had another player come off the bench and give him 16. Well, last night, the Nuggets at home in Denver were in trouble. After a tied first quarter, the Lakers started seizing control there in the second, and they held a seven-point lead at the break. And then it was knotted up in the third, evenly matched game. But still, L.A. in control, holding nearly a double-digit lead as we entered play in the fourth quarter. And then it was all Denver. A dominant fourth quarter performance led by Jamal Murray, who went off, scoring 20 of his 37 points, 23 rather of his 37 points came in the fourth quarter alone. Murray ends up with 27, 10, 5, and 4. That's a pretty good stat line. Made six three-point attempts, was 9 to 10 from the free throw line, which was huge late, where they were able to seal the deal as the Lakers tried to extend the game with fouling. Jokic had a kind of an off night, right? He was 9 to 21 from the field, 0 from three, from three-point range. He still managed 23 points and 17 boards and 12 assists. He just played around and had a mediocre triple-double. But once again, this is the thing that's going to be a problem for Denver. And this is going to be a thing that's going to be a problem for whoever they face out of the East as well. Denver always seems to get a magnificent performance from one of their stars. Right? They always seem to get one. Last night it was Murray dropping 37 points, 23 of them coming in the fourth quarter. So Denver gets a magnificent performance from one of its stars. But here's the thing that makes them dangerous. Here's the thing that's going to make them so tough to beat for a world championship. Everybody else contributes. Everybody else contributes. 10 points from Gordon. 16 points from Michael Porter Jr. 23 points from Jokic. They get 12 points off the bench from Brown, who's going to make him some money this offseason, by the way. Not only do their stars lead the way, everyone else chimes in. Everyone else helps. They are a balanced team, and that's going to make them the favorite to win the Larry O'Brien Trophy, in my opinion. Because one of the stars is going to go off, and then everyone else is going to contribute. And as the playoffs have gone along here in the Western Conference, Denver has gotten better. And you're starting to see the potential that we all thought Denver had before Murray got injured in the playoffs. But they've gotten over the hump. They're back in the Western Conference Finals. Jamal is healthy. Jokic is a special talent, a former two-time MVP. 
but it's just not because of the two stars. It's because of the pieces that Denver's front office has put around them. They have four to five other guys that can contribute and score in double figures for this team. And yes, their defense is not great. It isn't. They don't even pretend that it is. They're just going to outscore you. And they can do so inside-outside is the other thing that makes Denver so, so dangerous. They got the big fella with the step move that is nearly unstoppable. So they can beat you down low, right? Well, here's the other thing. They can also beat you from beyond the arc because last night they made 14 three-pointers. So they got a guy that can dominate and get a triple-double down low in the paint. They can also shoot the three-ball. How are you going to double? How are you going to defend? That's why Denver's been one of the most efficient and best offensive basketball teams in the association this year. And the key to it is all their guys can do everything. That's the other thing that we don't talk enough about. Because Jokic can go out there and shoot three-pointers. Murray can attack the basket. Gordon, Michael Porter Jr., Caldwell Pope. They can play inside and outside. Caldwell Pope's a big guy. You know, Caldwell Pope is a pretty big guard. He can attack the basket, but he can also give you a couple three-pointers. They don't need to be the Splash Brothers. They don't have to have that be part of their game. They just have to be able to do a little bit of both because they have two legit stars. Murray's a star. They have two legit stars, and the rest of the guys help. It's very... It, Basketball is not that complex. You just do what you do really well and you're efficient, you're going to win a lot of games. And Denver has a lot of guys that are say, hey, you know what? It's okay. We're not the star. We're not the face of the franchise. We're not an all-star, and that's okay. But we win. And L.A. is a little bit in trouble. I, I Once again, the... Cliche is, a series really doesn't begin until a road team wins a game, right? That's what we always say. Doesn't really begin until a road team wins a game. And you could argue, RP3, Anthony Davis had his non-dominant Anthony Davis game last night. That's, that's true. 18 points, 14 boards, 4 assists, 4 blocks. Wasn't a dominant performance by AD. He was off. But here's my bigger concern for the Lakers. And we talked about this early in the playoffs, Dawson and I did. L.A. had to play in the play-in tournament. They're old. LeBron is old. LeBron missed some just terrible shots last night. Missed a dunk. Like we're talking about LeBron James. Once again, 20 years in the league and a lot of playoff mileage on those tires. LeBron played 40 minutes last night. 9 of 19, 0 for 6 from three-point range. 
He had 22 points, 10 assists, 9 rebounds, 4 steals. That's great. But you're not getting 40 points from LeBron. He's to that point of his career where you're not going to get a consistent 40-point performance from him in a playoff series. He's beyond that now. He's, he's at the back end of the career. And we've said it over and over again. By, by the way, LeBron looked tired last night. It's only game two. Looked tired. And Reeves chipped in 22 points, which was great. They're only getting 10 points from D'Angelo Russell, but that's D'Angelo's game, really. He, he doesn't, he's not he's not a scorer. He's just not. Never has been. Well, he's not consistent. That's one thing. Uh, and he's not that – he's never been a guy that you can go, okay, he's going to get you like 26 points a game. It's just not – that's just not his game. And when he does flare up and give you 22, you're like, oh, and then you have to wait seven more games for it to happen. But what did we say, Dawson, about this series? It's really all about AD. You've seen it this year where the team, even though LeBron's still the alpha male, the reason why the Lakers traded the future for Anthony Davis is because they needed to have someone to pass the torch to once LeBron was done. That's what they did. It was to win a title, and it was to have the guy be the guy. The problem with Anthony Davis has always been what? He's not consistently that guy. We always question, does he have enough dog inside of him night in, night out? And he has these games, and he's done it all playoffs, and he's done it for most of his career. You have a magnificent Anthony Davis performance, and it's followed up by... Eh. Can they respond in game three back in L.A.? Sure. At the crypto arena. I think I got that right, actually. Yes? I think it's .com, but it, I mean, I would accept that answer. Thank, thank you. I still wanted to call it the Staples Center. I still remember the Lakers playing in the forum, but that shows you my age. But Anthony Davis is going to have to take over. And I don't know... Because he's never shown us before, with the exception of taking nearly two months off and playing in the bubble, that he can be consistently great in a playoff series. That's the only time that has happened. But that was after the season was paused for nearly two months. Can Anthony Davis be consistent for five more games? Because you know they're going to lose probably another one. Can, can can he be consistent for four games and help them win this series? I don't believe so. And that's why I think LA's in trouble. That's at least what it feels like to me. 108-103 to 103 win for the Denver Nuggets. They're now up two games to zip as this series heads back to Los Angeles. We got to take a timeout. When we return here, PGA Championship finally teed off yesterday, the first round after a frost delay. Bryson DeChambeau was not a name I was expecting to talk about at golf's second major, but yet here we are. D'Lo and I will give our thoughts about that next right here on The Game.
This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. When we talked this week leading up to the PGA Championship, we talked about a lot of golfers that we liked. You know, John Rahm, Scotty Shuffler, they're really kind of separated themselves of the two best golfers in the world right now. We talked about Roy McIlroy trying to, you know, get off that schneid, so to speak, and win a major for the first time in a couple of presidential terms. We talked about Brooks Kepka. Maybe even DJ with the live tours being guys that could make some noise. And of course, Justin Thomas, your defending PGA championship champion. I did not have, and we did not discuss, Bryson DeChambeau. Now, he is one of the guys that left for the live tour. He's also now slimmed down. So his, the Bryson... DeChambeau era of being the incredible bulk has now come to an end. He's back to being what he used to be, which he's still a big guy. <laughs> so I don't know why he decided he needed to deadlift 500 pounds uh, to play golf. But here he is, four under par, shot an opening round 66. He sits alone atop the leaderboard after the first round of play. At the PGA Championship, you got I got I got the stats in front of me, but you got your finger pointed up to correct me. They're finishing the first round currently, so it's the first day of play. Couple guys out there. Cole just took the lead, but actually made double bogey, gave it back. So I just wanted to make that clarification. A couple guys out still on the course right now. So he sits atop the leaderboard by himself. Yes, but not after go. the first round of play. That's what. That's where I was. That's where my caveat came in. I could argue I was after his first round of play because he's done right. His but. but I mean, we could. I don't think that's what was said. I think it was. Yeah. It's so easy sometimes with you. It's yeah. so easy. You get. He gives me the figure. This is what he does. Because if you don't get to see it, he, he he's like this. He's like this. He he point uh, uh, over here. No, um, uh, um, sorry, sir. Yeah, yes, here, here. Yeah, you're wrong. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, they had to finish the first round this morning. But did do we think he can keep this up? I. The putting is, you and I were talking about this in the break. Do we believe Bryson's putter is going to keep up for four rounds? Uh, not in the way, not with the number of putts he hit yesterday, but that's kind of the beauty of this. It's almost like um, sometimes when you talk about a baseball team that's getting a bunch of hits and you go, well, they can't score that way. They're not going to be able to hit that way. But maybe they can score runs in different ways, right? So I don't think he's going to be able to putt that way all week. But uh, if the driver gets better... Uh, you know, like if everything else is better around it and his proximity to the hole goes down, then, yeah, he can keep up this level of play. It's interesting, too. Like there's been a lot of comparisons of this golf course to Wingfoot, which mm-hmm. is where he won the U.S. Open, Open. Yep. back in that COVID season. And uh, I heard his some of his comments about it, and he kind of said, yeah, there's, there's certainly some similarities there. And so it seems like a place he's comfortable at. 
Um, but yeah, like again, that the other thing too with the live guys, DeChambeau hasn't been playing well in those tournaments themselves. It's not like he just hasn't, you know, just has been over there and everybody's forgetting about him. He how has much been, do they care about those tournaments? I think that's. Um, a, I don't know how much anyone cares about those right, tournaments. Because, honestly, because, I mean, this kind of carries on a conversation or continues a conversation rather that you and I started having yesterday. They get paid no matter what they do in these tournaments. So what's the motivation? It doesn't help your world golf ranking. I mean, Kepka never cared about PGA tournaments anyway. Correct. So other than majors. So, so like, yeah. We're, we're having this certainly... thing now a year in, right, where we're seeing th- they are putting a far more emphasis on the majors and they're playing well in the majors far better than they are in their own tours tournaments. Once again, you're motivated because of a huge payday. You're motivated because you can win a major. Are you motivated with whatever golf course they played in in Kansas a couple weeks ago? Probably not. Just being honest. Yeah, no, it's a good point, too. Now, but I think that's what people have kind of continued to put emphasis on is the fact that, like, okay, maybe for now these guys aren't that far removed from high-level competition on the tour. But if they continue to play live tournaments that they're not fully invested invested in or whatever else, at what point does that start to diminish their ability to just show up at these majors? Now, Correct. some guys look, Kepka again, like, like it's well documented. Brooks Kepka went to other tournaments around the tour because he had to to, you know, qualify for the FedEx Cup playoffs or whatever else, but basically was like <laughs> he did, Yeah, I he really did just care. don't care that much. Except for the waste management open, which he won a couple times. He did like that that event. Right, but so there's that's what my point is maybe he's built that way to just to just play golf and then when it's major time I'll show up with the mindset. But I'm just not sure that your average live tour golfer is going to be able to do that. And that's the questions. But it's again, to this point that, yeah, they haven't played. They've certainly, yeah, they've seemingly elevated their games when they've come back to the majors to play with the tour guys, as opposed to when they're on the live tour. We talked about how the course was going to play, right? And there was a lot of speculation that there wasn't going to be that many low scores. As it stands right now, there's only 16 golfers under par. Yeah, and I've I've seen a little bit of what's happened this morning. The guys who have gone back out on the course this morning have have not looked good. So yeah, another yeah. thing too that you talk about conditions changing. Um, the course was pretty soft and receptive in the early rounds yesterday morning, which we thought all the cold weather and the frost would hurt scoring. The guys who played in the morning actually played a little bit better, better. had a little bit easier time. The winds kind of picked up as the day went on, and um, I don't know how many. I think that's another advantage when we talk about these. You know, and you see a lot in the U.S. Open. Whoever has the ideal conditions has to take advantage. And the guys that are at the top, DeChambeau, Scotty Scheffler, Dustin Johnson, those guys took advantage, put down early scores early, and now they get to sit around, wait, watch everybody kind of deal with this difficult course, and they'll come back in the afternoon wave today. So, and they can make an adjustment based on what they see the other guys do or how the course is playing. Certainly. Always gives you an advantage to go later on day two. I've, I've always felt that. Adam Scott is in the top ten. He, he had some moments – at the Masters, I I don't think he's a real contender, but he's two under. Victor uh, Hovland, who I love his game, he's two under. What was he wearing yesterday? I'm not really for sure. That became a bit of a viral sensation. <laughs> On, online, where you go, oh, buddy, who, who, who's dressing you? Who, who said that was a good idea? Let's have 
a conversation about who said that was a good idea for you to go out there and look like that. Roy McIlroy, one over 71. He'll tee off this afternoon right after lunchtime at 1236. Colin Morikawa, also one over. Patrick Reed, two over. He's going to be teeing off early, like in about seven minutes for his second round. Uh, other golfers there at two over. Tony Finau, he had a terrible front nine. And had a magnificent back nine to get to two under. Xander Shoffley's right there at two over as well. Brooks Kepka is two over. So some big names, two over par. So we'll see how the course plays today, right? Obviously, the cut line will be made today, but you're going to have some movement here on the leaderboard. And I'm going to be interesting to see if the course early on, not a lot of low scores. It's been kind of brutal as the guys have had to come out and finish their first rounds. We'll see if that's going to carry over as the day progresses. Or if these guys that are going to be teeing off in the afternoon, like Shoffley, like Fina, like Morikawa, like Kepka, like Justin Thomas, who's also two over, if they're going to have better conditions and can kind of move up the leaderboard, so to speak. So I like how the course is playing, though. And Bryson DeChambeau, four under. Did not see that one coming. And here's the other thing. Well, I know we got to hit a timeout. It's so hard to get a read on the Live Tour guys because they don't have as many tournaments, one, and they really don't seem to care all that much. And here's the other thing. It's not four rounds. So you don't, like, they're a complete wild card. They're a complete wild card, and we're seeing this more and more, and here's the second straight major that we're seeing this. Now, we'll see if it carries over the entire weekend, like it did at the Masters, where you had three guys on the Live Tour finish in the top five. But we have no idea. We have no idea what their game is. We have no idea how much they're giving forth effort on the Live Tour because they've got all the money to play. Hey, you get paid no matter what happens. Well... Are you really going to get after it when that's the case? When you don't have really any motivation? I just, it's a complete wild card. And it's uh, disrupted things a little bit. That's not necessarily a bad thing. We got to take a timeout. When we return, talk baseball, college baseball. LSU guts out a win in extra innings. UL Gets grand slammed by Southern Miss. And McNeese, well, their star pitcher makes history. We'll recap it all for you coming up next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. LSU needed extra innings to beat a, let's just be kind here. It's Friday. I'll take the high road. A mediocre Georgia team. Eh, That's me being nice. 
needed 12 innings to take down the Bulldogs to open up their final series of the regular season. They win the game 8-5. to five. They plate three runs in the 12th inning as Pearson and Thompson hit home runs to bring in the three runs. And LSU started the game off strong with the Joe Bear home run there in the second. That made it 2-0. Paul Skeens was pretty good last night. He did give up a home run and another run there in the fifth inning. But he still pitched seven innings, gave up only the two earned runs, four hits, struck out 12. So a solid performance by him. Another solid performance by him. And after he leaves the game with the the seven innings, LSU gives themselves the lead. Travinsky homers, man, he has been absolutely phenomenal. Remember when he couldn't get on the field this season? Guy, guy just nothing, just comes in and just gets big hits. Travinsky and Thompson both get home runs there in the eighth, and they have a 4-2 lead. Then comes the eighth. And an error by LSU allows a run to score. Once again, the Tigers' defense is not great. That makes it 4-3. But then we head to the ninth. And Dylan Cruz says, I got this. D'Lo, I got this. I'm going to blast a home run. It's going to be a 5-3 lead. We're going to head to the bottom of the ninth against one of the worst teams in the SEC. We're going to get this win. And Thatcher Hurd said, well, because Thatcher gave up two home runs in the bottom of the ninth to allow Georgia to tie the game and to force extra innings. Now, of course, LSU wins it in the 12th with a pair of home runs as the Tigers are able to score three to pull out the win. And I'm going to have a positive take on this, D'Lo. Are you ready for this? This is not a bad thing. This is actually a good thing. Because what Jay Johnson did is he left Thatcher in. He left him in. And you know what he did after he gave up the two home runs there in the ninth inning? He pitched pretty well. Five innings. Two earned runs on only three hits, and he struck out five. Picked up the win for the Tigers. Now look, is it optimal when you bring in a guy to close out the game and he gives up two home runs in the bottom of the ninth? No. That's hot garbage. But here's the situation for LSU. Dawson and I have talked about this. They don't have a choice. They don't have a choice. Because here's the deal. If they're going to make a run in Hoover next week at the SEC tournament, or more importantly, if they're going to win a regional and then win a super and make a run in Omaha, they're going to have to have guys like Thatcher Hurd 
Blake money and the other guys who have been dreadful actually go out there and pitch decent. They don't have a choice. Like, you're not going to be able to pitch Skeens nine innings every day. Or Coleman. Or Ty Floyd, right? Gavin Guidry has been good. He's a freshman. He's been reliable. But Dawson, last time I checked, if you want to win a national title in baseball, correct me if I'm wrong, you're going to need more than three pitchers. Correct? Yes, that checks out. Thank you. So even though it was a big, huge groan when Thatcher gave up the home runs and forced extra innings, the fact that Jay said, you know what? He basically told his guy, D'Lo, you got us in this miss. You got us in this mess. Now get us out. Figure it out. I like that. I like that a lot. Because they're going to have to lean and depend on guys like Thatcher Hurd and Blake Money to be able to get them outs if they want to win their, if they want to achieve their ultimate goal of winning the national title, they're going to have to depend on these guys that have been bad. They're going to have to depend on them. And here's the time to do so. Thatcher Hurd pitched five innings last night. Gave up a couple of blasts, got into trouble, then got himself out of the trouble, and then earned the win. That's a good thing. I know what you're thinking. Oh, RP3 is being glass half full about the LSU relief pitching. But this is a good thing for Thatcher Hurd in particular to be able to get rocked, recover, give him five innings, and get the win. That could help, that could be huge for his confidence moving forward. LSU wasn't the only game in town, so to speak, last night. Louisiana Raging Cajuns traveled to Hattiesburg for their final regular season series as they take on Southern Miss, the cream of the crop of the Sunbelt Conference, a team that had entered the game winning 13 straight. Well, Golden Eagles blank the Raging Cajuns 4-0 to extend their winning streak to 14 straight. Tanner Hall struck out 12 Raging Cajuns and scattered three hits through eight innings. That's a strong performance by the Golden Eagles starter. Matthew Etzel broke up a scoreless game in the fifth inning with a grand slam. And those are the only runs they scored, and it was the only runs they needed. Second game of the series resumes tonight at 6 p.m. There at Pete Taylor Park, Hill Denson Field in the Berg. Cajuns fall to 35 and 19 overall, 17 and 11 in Sunbelt play, and they were shut out on the road for the first time since a 1 0 loss at Southern Miss back on March 13th of 2021. 4 0. It's a shutout, right? Obviously, it's a loss, Dawson. But with the exception of a couple of bad pitches there, in particular the Grand Slam, they're the best team in the conference. You only lost 4 nothing 
It's not terrible. Right? Well, Jackson Nezu looked great. I mean, he threw it, that inning, too, the way it worked out. There was an infield single where Marshock just, you know, the ball was put in a tough spot on his backhand. Um, and then the guy makes one swing. And you, you never got the timely hit. They got one timely hit. So, it's Correct. again, the margins can be small in baseball. This was a... This was your typical, and that was played on Thursday night because last year, this was your typical Friday night baseball game, two mm-hmm. aces on the mound. And I think that's the more encouraging thing is Nezu now has strung together starts consecutively that have looked dominant. Uh, you feel good about him heading into the conference tournament. Well, he feels as good as you have felt about him. Yeah. Um, there's still obviously always that that you know that question of is, is the inconsistent Nezu going to show back up? But for now, he's the best you've got, so you're going to roll with him. And um, you got to get a chance to go back. They Look, Tanner Hall is excellent, but... They've only got one Tanner Hall, so yeah. you got you to battle back tonight try to win a game. They don't have another guy as good as him. Now, right? they, they do have guys good. Like, they are the best pitching staff in the conference, but yeah, but not they as don't good have as him. frontline right. ace stuff like Tanner Hall do. They're not as good as he is. So they'll have an opportunity, and we'll see what the Cajuns can do this weekend to wrap up the regular season. McNeese, meanwhile, after dropping the first game of this non-conference series to Miami of Ohio, weird scheduling thing, their ace took the mound last night, and, well, you know what? He, he's an ace. <laughs> McNeese wins 13-5 to as Grant Rogers picked up his 11th win of the season after throwing a predetermined three innings. Justin Hill's like, bud, three innings. That, 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 that's all you're going to be doing tonight. We've got to save you for the conference tournament. Three innings. Matching the single-season record for wins in a regular season for a Cowboys pitcher all-time. No one has won that many except for Grant and one other. McNeese improves to 33-20 and 20 overall. The series is going to conclude today. They bumped up the first pitch of this game to noon. It was not supposed to be at noon. They moved it up one hour from the original time of one. Rodgers tossed three scoreless innings, allowing just one hit, striking out three while throwing only 36 pitches. He has now tied Chris Hallway, who set the record of 11 victories during the 2000 season. Cowboys finished the game with 15 hits. That's pretty good, I do believe, with four of those going for doubles. And McNeese will wrap up the regular season today at noon and try to get the series win over Miami of Ohio as they prepare for the Southland Conference Tournament next week there at the Joe in Lake Charles. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll update that poll question of the day and wrap up hour number one. That's all next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are some hosts that talk like they know everything, but you don't have to worry about our guy, RP3. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. That's because he never knows what he's talking about. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Back to the show in the know. RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Poll question of the day. We told you about it earlier. 
Who will win the Baton Rouge Softball Regional? Louisiana Raging Cajuns? LSU Tigers? Omaha, question mark? Prairie View, question mark? Why do they get question marks and the other ones don't? I just didn't know way. if anyone would be bold enough to pick those teams. But <laughs> if you want to pick them, I wanted to include them because you get four answer choices, and I didn't feel like leaving them blank. So, <laughs> so who will win the better softball regional? It just the man just throws shade at Omaha and Prairie View A and M. Are they just Prairie View now? Do they not go by Prairie View A and M? I think is it's that like both. a McNeese I, State I, thing I or Nickel State thing? You know, I haven't seen any strong takes on either side I, th- I think it's both i would i would guess i okay. hope I, 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 if it needs an a&m i'll i'll, I'll no, no, be no, sure no. to I'm apologize just, i'm just i just i mean because i saw some when when people were talking about the regional some of them haven't included the a&m well the actually. mcneese thing caught me off guard because i've gotten so used to just mcneese and i've heard mcneese state a few times and i was like mcneese state and then i was like well they were a long time it was always mcneese state so mcneese kind of would been... prefer like the raging cajuns prefer to be called the louisiana raging cajuns nichols and mcneese would be would would ask you to call them the nichols colonels and the mcneese cowboys yeah no and i think it sounds better there we I like go it. And Northwestern can't do that. Northwestern State can't do that because there's actually another, you know, there's Northwestern. Right. right, 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 right. <laughs> In Illinois. So they can't do that. <laughs> so who will win the Baton Rouge Softball Regional? Will it be the Louisiana Raging Cajuns? Will it be the LSU Tigers? Will it be Omaha? Question mark. Will it be Prairie View? Question mark. There's already 40 votes on this. Y'all are ready to go on a Friday. Let's see what it says here. Let's see what our votes say. 62% say the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. 38% say the LSU Tigers. No votes for Omaha, question mark. No votes for Prairie View, not A&M, question mark. Keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming as well. And we'll make sure to share them throughout today's show. Hour one in the books, but not to worry. we got another one right around the corner for you. James Yasko from the Lima Time Time Podcast will join us talking about those surging Houston Astros. That'll be next, right here on The Game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Our number two has arrived here on this Friday edition of RP3 and Company. Good stuff in our number one. Good stuff. NBA playoffs, Western Conference Finals. Nuggets take a 2-0 lead over the Lakers as Jamal Murray goes off for 23 of his 34 points in the final quarter of play. And that's what makes Denver so dangerous the rest of the way because they have two guys that are stars. And here's the thing. One of them plays magnificent. But the rest of the guys step up. They usually have four to five other guys scoring double figures. They're just so hard to defend because they can play inside and outside. And all the rest of the guys can do everything. Even Jokic can go out there and shoot three-pointers. So they can attack the rim and they can shoot beyond the arc. That's tough. 
that's absolutely tough. We also dived into the PGA Championship. Round one is wrapping up. Round two is about to tee off as well. Bryson DeChambeau, a thin version of Bryson DeChambeau, is currently sits atop the leaderboard at four under par. Dustin Johnson, one stroke behind him. So is Scotty Scheffler. We'll see what happens in upstate New York this weekend. We also touched on everything that happened on the collegiate diamond. McNeese gets a win at Rogers, ties the program record for most wins in a regular season. LSU guts out an extra innings win over Georgia. The relief pitching is awful. It's terrible. Make no bones about it. But the fact that Jay Johnson left Thatcher Hurd in the game last night and said, hey, what? You know what? You gave up two home runs in the ninth inning? Figure it out. He ended up getting the win. Was really good after that and pitched five strong innings. Because guess what? If LSU is going to win a title this year, they're going to make it to Omaha and make a run at the College World Series, they're going to have to have guys like Blake Money, Thatcher Hurd, and others step up and at least be competent. Because there's no other way. They don't have any other choice. They have to do it. Right now, though, we're going to kick off hour number two by talking all things Houston Astros. Strohs, hey man, three straight series victories, including a sweep of the Chicago Cubs, and did so in dramatic fashion. To break it all down for us, as our guy from the Lima Time Time podcast and Houston Chronicle contributor, James Yasko joins us now. James, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? You know, every now and then I think that I could I could maybe go into sports radio. Like I think that the what I what I know, what my what my knowledge base is, it's pretty solid. And then I hear your like intros like that, and I think there's no way that I could summon the craps that were required to talk about sports that I absolutely do not care about. Oh, bud, bud, you could just host a radio show where you talk about baseball in the English Premier League. Done. <laughs> yeah, there's a huge crossover market there. Sure. <laughs> we'll get to the status of your team and whether or not they're going to be regulated or not. Uh, we'll make sure to save some time for that as we have the, the last couple of weeks, my, my friend. But let's talk cool. about the Strohs. Three straight series wins. I know they're not against world beaters. Okay, I get that. But they've bounced back in a big way. They get a sweep of the Cubs. And they're getting all different types of guys to contribute right now. I mean, Alvarez is playing out of his mind, obviously, but they're getting other guys to be able to step up. What's been the big difference for you watching the Astros in the last few weeks? Uh, the hitting is starting to come around, except for Jose Abreu. Uh, you look at the week that <laughs> oh, oh, oh. you look at the week that Alex Bregman has had. Uh, you know, because one thing that that I was sort of taken aback by is the the lack of home runs. And you know the the Astros have hit have hit fewer home runs at Minute Maid Park uh, to this point in the season since like it's the fewest since like the 2012 season or the 2013 season. One of the hundred lost teams, the the power just wasn't there, and so now that's kind of starting to come back around. Uh, and so you know, seeing Bregman, you know, if 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 your if your leadoff guy is Mauricio Dubon, not a ton of power, Bregman can't can't buy an extra base hit then you're sort of starting off, you know, every game, you know, with, with two outs, whereas we're sort of used to the, you know, it's a, whether it's George Springer or Jose Altuve, you know, there's a, a better chance that you start off with a 1-0 lead. So the, the power that's coming back to the lineup, that's, that's been, I think that's been the, the most refreshing thing in the, last, in the last week or so. 
Yeah, it, it feels like Breggs is starting to kind of turn it on, and he's always a you know notoriously slow starter to the season. This season seems to be a little bit slower than others. Yeah. When you look at this lineup, obviously Breggs has been a big factor in these last three series. He's starting to kind of turn a corner. You're still getting great contributions from Dubon. Who else has been kind of stepping up and kind of starting to appear to turn a corner? It feels like Tucker is one of those guys. I know he had the walk-off, but even in addition to that, he feels like he's starting to kind of see the ball again uh, the like he did early in the season. Yeah, I mean, you know, most teams aren't going to – you're not getting production one through nine in your lineup. So when you can get – you know, but the Astros were having a hard time getting getting production anywhere from other than Jordan Alvarez. So probably Tucker uh, having Chaz McCormick back in the lineup, uh, pretty cool when you can turn a 21st-round draft pick into your <clears throat> everyday starting center fielder. Um, but I mean, like you know, Jake Myers, you know, hit the hit a home run that got it to a one ga- a one run game on on Wednesday night. So it seems like you know everyone everyone we're kind of back to the the era of everyone pitching in. Well, James, I was down to a couple of questions that I wanted to ask you, and it was either you know the, the last one was whether I was going to talk about Jack Harrison as a midfielder for Leeds and how he matches up against West Ham <laughs> United, but I decided to just go with the question about Jose Abreu and just ask you if he's ever going to figure things out. I'm actually my my heart rate quickened when when I heard Jack Harrison's name. That was that was absolutely delightful. Thank you, Dawson. Uh, I I don't. I mean, how do you drop off that badly? I mean, he was he's Abreu's been a a a very productive hitter. You know, I mean, and you can look at the reaction from from the Astros and Astros fans when. You know, everyone's pretty bummed about about them not offering Gurriel a contract, but then the, here comes Abreu, and and everyone's all excited again. Well, it, it, there's not a whole lot to be excited about. I, is he ever going to figure it out? I don't know how you go from being a, a 290 career hitter to, to suddenly you can't you can't hit water if you fell out of a boat. So is it if it's if it's just a slump? I mean, we're talking about a quarter of a season slump, and and yeah, 40 you can have a 40 game stretch where you don't hit as well if it comes after. You know, a forty-game stretch where where you're killing the ball, uh, or you have eighty games, you know, of of stats kind of built up before you you sort of lose the plot for for a few weeks. The fact that it happened at the beginning of the season, the beginning of his time with the Astros, that it may be snowballing on him, where he's putting so much pressure on him to on himself to produce that that it's it, he's just pressing too much. A little bit bigger picture with. The situation presenting itself where you get to play the Oakland A's minor league ball club this weekend, mm-hmm. um, that's an opportunity, right? And not only this weekend, but you're going to play him several times as a division rival. How important is it for the Astros to take advantage of their games against the Oakland A's, especially when other teams in the division already have, like Texas, to, uh, to, to make sure if you're going to try and keep pace with the, with the Rangers this year that you're taking advantage of your opportunities against lesser teams? The Astros have gotten to where they are as a franchise by beating the teams that they should, uh, and they've had a well. That, and that's that's how that's how every team you know does it. You know, you you beat the bad teams and you you play well against the good teams and you get to the postseason and and then anything can happen. Um, but yeah, you don't. You're trying to catch the the Rangers, uh, and and you know they've they've all two games now. Uh, both had the day off yesterday. You have you have to take advantage of home series against you know against one of the worst teams literally ever. And so if you go out there and get swept by Oakland, 
then then that's 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 not great. But I think that that coming off of the the walk off on Wednesday night, straight into the series, having an off day, everyone's happy. That that should bode well for the Astros. We're talking with James Yasko, the Lima Time Time podcast, and a contributor to the Houston Chronicle. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. So, Dusty is old school as they come. And he is going to take the approach. He's going to let his guys hit out of slumps. Yep. We've seen him do it with Bregman. We've seen him do it with everyone on this roster. And he's doing it right now with Abreu. If he can't get it together... What are their options on what to do with the guy that they gave the big contract to? And is there anybody they can possibly tune uh, turn to? Hey, we talk about how versatile Dubon is. Once Altuve comes back, could you move him over to first? You could. You could. I think the the most immediate thing you could do is not hit a Abreu fifth. Uh, <laughs> and I understand that you want. You know, if you put a good hitter behind him, maybe that forces the pitcher to throw strikes, and then Abreu kind of figures it out. But I mean, he needs to be hitting seventh or eighth right now because I mean, he's he's just a liability in the in the middle of the in the middle of the lineup. You know, one thing that you could sort of look to is you know, Dubon's a possibility, but you know, another option would have been like David Hensley, but he can't. He he's terrible. I mean, I have I. I look this up. Of, of there's 287 major league players that have had at least 80 plate appearances this season and Hensley's Hensley offensively is 287 like he's the worst hitter out of everybody that's that's made 80 plate appearances so he's not the answer uh one thing that you could look at as a as an outside option is this uh Yulieski Gurriel cat down in Miami (laughs) what do they do with the Michael Brantley situation you know it, at this point, it would it's a situation where if he plays again, uh, that would be phenomenal. But I don't know that it's going to happen. You know, if, if you go on a, a rehab stint for, for three games and you get shoulder inflammation that shuts you down for another month, like that, that's not a good sign. And I, I, I wonder if, if Brantley, you know, do you look at retirement at that point? Because, you know, if, if he doesn't play this season, you know, you're looking at two years away from the game, uh, essentially. So, if he plays, that's that's gravy. But you know, I'm I'm preparing, and I'm sure the Astros are prepared to to act as though you're not going to get Brantley this year. Woof! That's a that's a that's a big old woof there. Abreu has not been good. Brantley may not play. You do get Jose Altuve to come up uh, quickly. Um, is his rehab assignment? Just a, not really a way of him getting reps, but really an Astros way of having him appear at all the minor league ballparks, and that way they can have him dress up in uniforms and sell memorabilia. I, I would 100% buy an Altuve honey butter chicken biscuit uh, <laughs> uniform, that, and that would go in a frame on my wall. Uh, no, I think that you know because you see you saw the Astros do this, and and of course you know the 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 draft and the, and the minors are different in baseball than they are any other sport. Um, but you'd, you'd make sure, you know, that, <clears throat> you know, it was a nice little nod to the good people of Corpus Christi that, that they, you know, kind of transferred Altuve's rehab to the, to them after being in Sugarland. Yeah. You give, you give your affiliates a little bit of a, of a boost, but also, yeah, you want, you know, Altuve broke his hand. He wasn't swinging the bat. You know, he's seeing 
you know, live pitching and actively playing in games for the, for the first time since, you know, and I don't know how much, uh, how, I mean, I'm sure it's valuable, but you know, what is spring training? How does it compare to actual in-game pitching? So it's just getting a chance to swing the bat, see the ball and, and get back to the rhythm of rhythm of baseball. The rhythm of baseball. And look, despite Abreu being a bum, despite no Michael Brantley and may have lost him for the year, Altuve still hasn't played. Uh, Urquidy is going to be out to the All-Star break. You lose another starting pitcher. McCullers, we don't know when he's going to come back. I don't know. Maybe he's lost in the wilderness and they just don't know where, where he's at. This team is still only two games out of first place in their division, and they've won three straight series. So all things... You know, they've had a ton of roadblocks in front of them, James, and yet here they are, five games above 500. They've won three straight series, and they seem to be playing better and better baseball. Yeah, uh, it's it's a deeper you, – you can't look at, at farm system rankings as the overall as – the, as the sole barometer of the overall health of your franchise. Uh, and, yes, everyone loves winning fan graph titles, you know, of, of having the best farm system, but it, it's really – what does your what does your active roster look like, and how how versatile can they be when you hit roadblocks like the Astros have? It's 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 pretty incredible, actually. All right, bud, we'll get you out of here with this. Um, one more before we let you go. Who needs to step up more here in these final uh, games for uh, Leeds United? Is it Patrick Bamford, or does it need to be Mark Rocco? Who who, who needs to step up more? Mark Rocca needs to head on back to Europe. Uh, he needs to go back to the continent uh, until he can figure out how to complete a pass. That, that yeah. would, be, Bud, that would you, be great. But, you know, he's from Spain, by the way. Which is in Europe. I couldn't remember if it was Spain or Germany. I, 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 went, I, went, I went more broad because I couldn't remember. Um, <laughs> yeah, if, you, if your striker could, you know, maybe score a penalty, uh, you know, like in, instead of kick it straight down Main Street, like like Bamford did on uh, against Newcastle, that would be great. So yeah, no, everybody <laughs> needs to step up, and also I need Everton to completely crap the bed the last two games. Follow up question: Is uh, the team Newcastle somehow related to the alcoholic beverage in any way? Yeah, Newcastle Brown Ale is brewed in Newcastle. There we go. There we go. See, see. Another week of compelling soccer discussion between you and I here on RP3 and Company, brother. I'm finishing up my first year of teaching AP European history. I'm, I am well-versed in the alcohols of Europe. <laughs> Just for research purposes, of course. Of course. Brother, enjoy your weekend, my friend. Have a good one. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station over watching a mandated webinar at work. Well, thank you, everyone, for coming to this exciting meeting today to discuss... Take that, productivity in the workplace. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Always love chopping it up with James Yasko. Talking Astros, talking obviously English Premier League soccer, which I am very fluent in. I understand that quite well. No, I do not. 
but I'm trying to expand my horizons. Despite being the old crotchety man, I'm trying to expand my, my horizons and understand the world game that everyone loves so much. D-Lo, what are you doing over there? You're quiet this morning. You're very quiet this morning. Very reserved. It's been a long week for my guy, okay? For those of you that do not know, Dawson Islow, the son of Iceman, the producer extraordinaire, the man who probably has two degrees from institutions of higher learning, my man, he has been also the voice of LSUE Bengal baseball here for the better part of a month or longer, I feel like. Yeah, a little longer. And they got the Region 23 tournament this week. And uh, it's been a bit of a bear, man. You've been, been you've been fun. grinding it out, working here and driving over to the Cajun Prairie to call those games. Yeah, if I could move the Cajun Prairie a little closer to Lafayette <laughs> just for this week only, that would have been convenient. But no, it's been a lot of fun. Um, the, the tournament's been high level. I, I think I kind of talked about that a little bit, and um, everything associated with it's been well. They've done a great job putting that putting that event on as well. Um, have they been taking care of you food wise? Oh yeah, no, listen, and the, and the Cajun chicken tenders they've been having with the Bayou Bengal sauce. I'm not even messing around. It's it's, it's legit. Question. Yeah. Why haven't you brought any of those back to your? I don't your, think that would your keep guy. as well as you think it would. Um, okay. I have real I have real concerns about the, the the level of quality it would have been when it got back here. Tell me more about this. They call it Bayou yeah, Bengal sauce. Like, I think that's what it's called. I'd have to confirm with our guy Travis Webb on that. But uh, it's mm. it's like a it, you know, there's a chicken finger restaurant around here that has a pretty popular sauce. It's got tones of that, but it's got a little bit more kind of spice to it, a little bit more of a mm. of a of a tanginess to it's it. It's what you would expect from something from the Cajun Prairie. Yeah, that's no, and these tenders me. and the and the, and the real separator. These tender, first of all, these are huge pieces of chicken. I don't know. I don't know who's who's making this food. I wish I could give them credit. I really don't know where it's coming from. You should find out when it's you go today. In, it's in a silver platter when I show up, and then I eat it. For That's the it. Region 23 Championship yes. on the line. Winner take all today. I'm Winner excited. Take all I don't... For, for Jeff Willis's team, yeah. you have been assigned now to find out who makes said chicken tenders and who's making this sauce so we can give them the proper shout-out on Monday's show. That'll happen. That'll happen. I, I'm hoping they have it today because, again, today now the tournament is, is not over. Obviously, there's one big game but it's no longer the situation where you had six teams involved and understood a lot of people in and out of the tent but they had it yesterday so i i have no reason to believe they won't so tell us we have a few minutes here yeah before we have to take our time out because we have cole kelly former turlings catholic star and southeastern louisiana record-setting quarterback going to be joining us talking about his ascension now to starting quarterback in the usfl he's led the memphis showboats to back-to-back victories by the way before we get to that the Bengals. Had to play yesterday, and they punched their ticket and did so seemingly easily. How'd they get there, my friend? Right, so yesterday's game was the first game of the championship round, I guess you could call it, um, of the of the Region 23 tournament. But the Bengals had one loss, if you'll remember, which came to East Central, the team they played yesterday. East Central was 3-0 in this tournament, so the Bengals had to beat them twice, but East Central only had to win once, so... It was an opportunity for the tournament to be over and ticket be punched yesterday. But the Bengals had no uh, no interest in that scenario. This was a couple of scoreless innings early. Then the Bengals got a four spot. Corey Cooper hit a three-run homer off the scoreboard in right center. That kind of ignited things. And from there, the Bengals never really looked back. Now, there was an interesting situation here that took place where once East Central fell behind five or six runs, 
you saw a complete shift in their mentality, in my opinion. They started going to pitchers who didn't have a whole lot of innings logged all season. Uh, They did go to a couple of their better relievers still earlier in the game, but once it was kind of getting separated away, they started going to guys who haven't pitched much. And my thinking, again, I don't know this for sure, is that they were saving some guys with the idea of of this game today, of course, being winner-take-all. It sounds like what you're telling me is that East Central believes in the Piper needs to get paid. And Uh, that instead of throwing some of their best guys, they expect the Piper to be paid. They allowed LSUE to score more runs that way because, as Kevin Foote tells us, if you score a lot of runs one day, you're not going to score as many the next so they must believe in the Kevin Foot paying the Piper philosophy is what you're telling me. Maybe so. Um, you know, my mentality on it was more about saving arms that you think you're going to need. And when you're already down eight runs, it doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense to put all into trying to get back into that one. But yeah, no, I mean, the Piper fair. could fair. be the Piper as well. Could, Either way, could, who knows? It could be the mythical creature, the Piper. Uh, who does LSUE, who are they going to throw today? Um, not exactly certain on that, but I would expect, so the, the interesting thing too, is now that you've gone five days into this tournament, you got a guy that could potentially come back from the first couple of days, right? So they had Correct. a couple of starters throw early on in, in this tournament. I would expect maybe to see one of those guys. The other option would be to bullpen it because the bullpen hasn't been used all that much. So you have an opportunity if, you know, if coach Willis wanted to, to, to kind of go opener style, uh, pitch, he's got options. I think that's the biggest thing to take out of it. Um, it's not this like what you'd expect where at the end of a tournament you've had to play a bunch of games, you had to play loser's bracket games, maybe you'd be out of pitching. I don't think that's the case. And I guess stretching this tournament out over five days helps with that. Um, so they're gonna they're gonna have options. They're not gonna I don't expect this to be a fifteen to twelve last game of a tournament, nobody left. More type like a five, situation. I gotcha. More I like think, five three kind yeah, of. Yeah, I think we're gonna see and I I would expect also maybe the ace for uh the ace or number two pitcher for East Central to come back as well. So I think it could be a pretty low-scoring game. And what time is first pitch? 3 o'clock. 3 o'clock, Cajun Prairie, Region 23 championship game. Yeah, I'll have the call for you on the LSUE Digital Network. Boom. we got to take a timeout. When we return, Cole Kelly, former Turlings Catholic, Southeastern Louisiana star, and starting quarterback for the Memphis Showboats will join us right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back into this Friday edition of RP3 and Company right here on the Game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Don't forget to get those votes in on the poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids, and we'll share them throughout the remainder of today's show. We've covered a lot of ground on this edition of the show, but right now it's time for us to talk a little USFL football. Plenty of highlights for season number two, and our next guest has been part of that already. He was a star at Turlings Catholic High School right here in Lafayette. He would go on to be an All-American and the FCS Walter Payton Award winner for the Southeastern Lions. He is now a member of the Memphis Showboats, and he has led them to a 2-1 record as their starting quarterback, including taking down the previously undefeated New Orleans Breakers 
just a week ago. Memphis will host the Pittsburgh Maulers this Saturday. Joining us now is our old friend, Cole Kelly. Cole, good morning to you, brother. How are you? I'm doing all right. Good morning. It's good to be back on the show. I appreciate y'all having me. Cole, let's go back to week three because you get your first start with the showboats and your first start as a professional football player, and you nearly are able to pull off the comeback victory. You throw for over 300 yards in that game, but what was it like for you to finally get that first start as a professional quarterback? Oh, man, it's, I mean, it's a blessing. It's, it really is. It's truly, you know, I'm, I'm very blessed and, um, you know, I'm very thankful to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Without him, you know, I've had a long journey. I mean, I've been on this show a few times with you over the years. It's been a, it's been a long journey, but, um, you know, it's, it's really, it's surreal, but at the same time, you know, I'm so focused on the moment and being present in the moment that, you know, I don't think about all the extra stuff. I'm just trying to do my job and help our team win. And that occurred the very following week where, you know, you have 157 passing yards, 27 rushing yards on the ground. You had the two big rushing touchdowns and that hard fought 29 to 10 win over the Michigan Panthers. What was it like to get that win, your first win as a professional football player, but also helping the franchise get its first win of the season? Yeah, man, it was awesome. It, it's, it makes it all worth it. You know, um, we put in so much work and time and effort and energy into this. And, um, you know, just like uh, people do with their regular jobs, you know, it's just what we do for a living. So just to see it, to get the reward from it, from all the hard work, man, it's, 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 it makes it all worth it. You follow that up with taking on the only undefeated team that was remaining in the USFL, the New Orleans Breakers. You throw for t- over 224 yards, you get a touchdown, but this is a tight game, low-scoring game, especially between – the likes of the Showboats and the Breakers, where you guys can put up some points. Uh, what was it like to go out there and prove that not only yourself, but this team can go out there and win a low-scoring affair? Yeah, you know, it was it was just great to come out of there with a win. Um, you know, the New Orleans is a good team. Um, obviously, honestly, though, you know, and we did some good things offensively, but our defense has been playing so lights out these last two weeks, man. They're turning teams over. They're holding teams, and it just gives us, you know, we don't have to press too much on the sidelines on offense, you know, or when we go back out there. We just kind of keep grinding and chipping away, and our offense is getting better. And we're just playing really good complementary football right now. You know, we're not really turning the ball over, and our defense is turning them over. So it's it's just good complementary football. If you do that, you, you'll win a lot of games. What's been the biggest adjustment for you, Cole, going from being a starter in college in multiple levels and putting up record numbers to now playing in the USFL, a professional football league. What's the biggest difference from college to the pros? Um, I would just say the size of the competition, you know, um, it's, it's, well, I, I, I actually, the for the biggest difference is the business aspect of it. You know, in college, you know, you have a couple bad days or you can go through slumps, stuff like that. You know, you're pretty safe. Uh, over here, you can't do that. You know, you you do that, you're not going to have a job anymore. So, and, 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 I mean, people like to say that all the time, but it's true. I mean, I've seen people just, you know, I didn't think they would be gone, and the next day they're gone, and I've never seen them again. And it's it's, it's pretty crazy. But 
Uh, other than that, probably the level of competition and just the coaching, the, the schematics of it, like the defensive coaches I go against now are, are a whole lot better. You know, what I see pre-snap is probably not what I'm going to see post-snap. So just knowing that, you have to watch a whole lot of film. We're talking with former Turlings Catholic star in southeastern Louisiana, record-setting quarterback Cole Kelly. He is the starting quarterback for the Memphis Showboats of the USFL. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Week to week, now that you got a couple of starts under your belt, Cole, and you guys are building some momentum, what are some of the things that you feel like you're still needing to work on day in, day out to get better, to be more focused, to be more accurate? What are those things? Yeah, we just got to, um, you know, we're moving the ball well. We just got to finish drives, you know, and I, I think a lot of that is conditioning and and focus. I mean, you have to be real focused on offense. It takes 11 guys to do their job right to have a positive play. If one guy messes up and it's a negative play, and at this level you can't really have negative plays or your drive end doesn't end in points. So it's um, it's just about it's about focus, man. Just the devil's in the details. Our coaching says all the time, and it really is. It's it's all it's about focus on the details, the little things, and that'll take care of the big big things if you focus on the little things. Have you put yourself yet into a leadership role? Are you comfortable with that? Yeah. Even though you're a first year player for the franchise. Uh yeah. I, um. Honestly, I think that's probably my best quality as a quarterback is probably my leadership. And um, I don't take it lightly at all. I take it very seriously. I think just in the game of football, the quarterback naturally becomes that. But if, if he's a good one, too, then that'll really benefit, you know. Because, you know, quarterbacks are naturally the leader of the team. But if he's not a good leader, then the team will follow that. So it's um, it's really it's really important for me to be a good leader and lead by example, just you know for anybody that's watching. But yeah, our team and our coaches and everybody. But yeah, uh, I think honestly, since I've I got here, I've kind of taken that taken that uh, on. But since I've started playing, obviously more than it's definitely I'm um, taking off a little more. Well, Cole, I want to first off say congratulations to you and, and, and hoping for the best for you in the future here. But I want to take you back to your college career a little bit, if you don't mind. And you know, you yeah. started off at Arkansas. You're a four-star recruit. There was a lot of buzz around you locally. Um, and your career there, I mean, it had its ups and its downs. It's not like you never played. You had some moments with uh, the Razorbacks. But you know, then you ended up making the decision to transfer. What kind of went into that decision at that point uh, in your college career, which you know really kind of was a turning point for you? Yeah, it was. I mean, to this day, I think that was the toughest decision I've ever made. It's still, um, I had a lot of really good friends at Arkansas. I loved living in Fayetteville. I loved the campus. I loved the team, the facilities. Everything was great. Um, I think we had got a new coaching staff, and I was going to see it through. You know, one, uh, I was going to see it through and see see where that led. And you know, after one year there, I think you know, it just I had to make the decision that ultimately like I wasn't going to be successful there and I didn't think our our team was going to be successful and I was very upfront about that you know I wasn't hiding from it. it it was not something I was happy about I was very upset about it I didn't want that to be the case but it is what it is and so you know by the grace of God I always tell people by the grace of God I ended up at Southeastern you know I went talk to Coach Sonny and Jake Delome over there at Turtlings and um and I didn't know what – I didn't even know if I wanted to play football anymore. Honestly, I was young and going through some stuff. 
and um, Coach Coach Sunny and Jake told me that I should I should give it a try with Coach Selfo at Southeastern, and thank God I have them two in my corner because I mean you know the rest is history. Well, so you go through that process, and then you land with the Lions, you know, and, and it starts to happen for you there in your second season, and you start to make some waves. Eventually, you go on to again put up record numbers, winning Southland Conference Offensive Player of the Year. Um, you know, receiving the FCS Walter Payton Award. Is there a time there where you're sitting there going, "Man, this is the guy I thought I was. This is I know I am the player." And, and did that some of that doubt creep in before that to where you go, "No, I'm back. This is this is what I'm supposed to be doing." Yeah, no doubt. That's a good question. Um, yeah, I think some of the things I went through at Arkansas um, it definitely had some doubt creeping because confidence is so so crucial, man, in everything in life, but especially in the game of football. Uh, you have, to, especially at the position of quarterback, too. You have to be ultimately confident. You have to, because you're making the decisions for the team when the ball's in your hands every play. And you know, my lack of confidence was reflecting on the football field, and it was reflecting in my life. And um, but I'm also thankful for that because now I am the man I am today, and nothing can really phase me. You know, I say that. You know, you never know what life's going to throw at you, but after going through that stuff, you know, it just seems small looking back on it. And I've been through so much since then. And um, I just try to stay even keeled regardless and confident all the time, confident in who I am as a person. You know, nobody can really get me out of my shell. I'm, I'm always going to be, you know, confident in who I am as a person and, and as a football player, as a quarterback. So having gone through that has really helped me, honestly, in my career. And then after learning from that, going to Southeastern, got to, um, you know, apply that there. Well, so getting back to, to what you're doing now with the showboats and kind of the USFL, it's been fun to watch the USFL and kind of it, it's yeah. growing a little bit. It seems like more people are getting on board with it. Uh, what's it like being a part of a league where, look, you're still trying to further your own professional career, but also you're a part of something that's kind of unique going on right now with this new league that's been uh, kind of still growing? Yeah, you know, I think it's year two in this league now, so I do. I, I think it is growing. Um you know, we've had some really big ratings and numbers on TV and, and, and at games and stuff. And, you know, this crowd here in Memphis is awesome. Uh, we play at the Liberty Bowl Stadium. It's a freaking nice stadium. And, um, you know, our last home game, it was raining, and our, our fans were, you know, pretty full. So we we have some good fans over here. But it's, 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 it's really an honor. Obviously, you know, we're all really – all the players here are trying to get back to the NFL – and there's no hiding from that, but at the same time, it really is cool to be a part of this new league that's really, in my opinion, taking off right now. Cole, we'll get you out of, uh, out of here with this, brother. Um, now that you kind of established yourself and you're the starting quarterback for the Memphis Showboats, uh, how many folks back home here in Acadiana are, hit, are hitting you up for some oh. Showboats gear? That's, hit me up for some what? Some Showboats gear. They're hitting oh. you up for gear. Yeah, no, I've uh, I've got some for my girlfriend, and my parents, and you know my brothers have a few, uh, few clothes, and I I, I know uh, oh Mr. Brian and Coach Sunny over there, Turling's got got some stuff representing the showboats, but man, I gotta say one thing, this the people in Acadiana and South Louisiana in general are the best. You know I, I love them, they're great. I've been I've you know I've had some ups and downs as y'all well know, and people have supported me from back home along the entire journey. And it really is special, man. I mean, I, I see the people's messages. I try to respond to them as much as I can. And 
man, I just I'm I'm so thankful to be to have been raised in Lafayette, Louisiana, and to be to be from such a great area with so many great people. Well said, brother. Well said. Appreciate you making the time, Cole. Best of luck the rest of the season, brother. Can't wait to catch up with you again, my friend. Thank you, sir. God bless. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to the game's YouTube channel at the game, Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. It'd help if I turn the microphone on. <laughs> it's Friday. Poll question of the day. Who will win the Baton Rouge softball regional? Right now, 66% of you say the Louisiana Raging Cajuns are going to go into BR and say, this is ours. Tiger Park is ours now. We're the captain now. 34% of you say the LSU Tigers. No votes yet for Omaha, question mark, or Prairie View, question mark. <laughs> Let's get to some comments. Ralph on Twitter says the chip on the shoulder is real. Pitching will make them tough. Just need bats to cooperate. You know Tony is smiling down on the job Justin has done. Cajuns win. Ton says Cajuns are Tigers. I'm leaning Cajuns because A, they're due. B, they've been good all season. C, they're due. D, they're already beating LSU. E, they're due. JPK the OD says nothing worse than being evicted from your own tournament. LSU should consider it as a preview of the upcoming men's tournament. And Salty Steve says, you don't need vermilion colored glasses to see the Lady Cajuns will dominate this group. Hashtag no salt Friday. This Overwhelmingly. Is, this is, yeah, not, not the results I was expecting on the poll question. Pro vermilion in white this morning on this poll question of the day. Yeah. No, I, I would say, A, um, I do. Justin Robeshow has done a fantastic job developing not just a pitcher or two, but a pitching staff, which, again, in softball, it's not always the case. And, um, no, if the Piper exists, the Cajuns are certainly due for some for some bounces to go their way in Baton Rouge. Oh, the Magical the Piper. Regionals. Where does the Magical Piper live? In Kevin's foot, in Kevin Foote's basement would be my first guess. Um, <laughs> past that, I don't know. The Magical Piper. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Keep leaving your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll make sure to share them throughout today's show. I'll, I'll ask you directly. I'll put you right on the spot. But you can handle it because you're the producer extraordinaire. Who wins this regional? I've gone back and forth. It's 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 really tough. I mean, when you're you look struggling at the, with the Omaha, depth of right? Prairie View's lineup, that's where you start to kind of see them being the favorites. But uh, no, look, I'll just decide. Like I, I think it's I think LSU and UL are actually incredibly evenly matched teams. They both do some of the same things well. They have they both have two really great starting pitchers. They both have a couple of girls that will come in off out of the bullpen in the circle as well. Um, I think the Cajuns have a little bit more uh, depth as far as their lineup is concerned. Now, that can get tested again with some of the defensive lineups that Coach Glasgow runs out there when you have, you know, Sissy Vasquez hasn't had a, the year she would have liked to have at the plate, but she's shown some more promise lately. 
I think the key is getting Pleasance and Georgia Clark out. Um, that's going to be really important. So I, I'll go Cajuns. You know, I don't know. Maybe it's a maybe it's a little bit of just getting over the hump, feeling like it has to happen at some point. So why not this year? Why not this year? I actually feel the same way. I think their attitude of being slighted for hosting a regional. I think that it's time to break through for Jerry Glasgow to win that regional and. No better place to do it than in Tiger Park against the rival 45 minutes across the basin. The story just sets up perfectly for them. Now, LSU's no pushover. So I would expect there to be two games on Sunday played. And I think this is going to come down to the final game. It's going to be an absolute fight. Hour number two in the books. Hour number three coming up right here on the game. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Welcome back to RP3 and Company. Final hour of today's show. Final hour of the week. It's all right here. We're broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Got a poll question of the day. Who's going to win the Baton Rouge Regional? Be... Is it going to be Louisiana Raging Cajuns? Is it going to be the LSU Tigers? We'll talk more Raging Cajuns with a football legend. Tyrell Fenroy will join us. He recently went back to school and got his degree. That's a big deal. It's a huge deal. We'll talk to him at 8.30 this morning. That will be our final guest of the week and of the day. It's been a good week. It's been a good week. And you know, we haven't had a chance to talk about it yet, but as scheduled, wanted to touch on the other team that's in a softball region, that's over in Seattle, of course, the McNeese Cowgirls. We had James Landrino on the show on Monday, live on the show on Monday, talking about... Another great season for the Cowgirls. And we talked a little bit more about this matchup when Jim Gazzolo, the host of the Meanies Coaches Show, which we have here every Wednesday night on the game. We talked more about that as well. But they have a great opportunity in front of them. We talked about it earlier in the week, but I want to revisit that here while we have a few minutes. Because Washington is vulnerable. You know, we talk about the Cajuns having the opportunity to take down LSU. They've already faced each other twice this season. They split that series. They know Tiger Park very well. Now, McNeese may not know the park that they're going to play in, 
over in Seattle. But they do know the team that they could possibly face. And that's the Washington Huskies. They beat them 3-2 to two in Lake Chuck earlier this season. So they're not going to be intimidated. They took them down. They have multiple top 25 victories under their belt. And the other thing, and we talked about this with Coach Landrino earlier this week on RP3 and Company, was the fact of they faced off against tough, tough competition. And here's the other thing. They went last year to Evanston Regional outside of Chicago. And even though they didn't win the regional, they took two games from the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, one of the best softball programs, perennial programs in the country. So they have recent experience, literally just last year, of being able to go across the country and take down a rank opponent and take down a great program. Now, they start off play against Minnesota, which is a very good team out of the Big Ten, right? They have the Big Ten Pitcher of the Year. I do believe the Golden Gophers do. So they're going to get tested right off the bat. But just like last year, they beat Notre Dame right off the bat in the Evanston Regional. So if they can get past Minnesota, which, once again, you play in a regional, it's going to be immensely difficult. It's going to be immensely difficult. But if they can get past the Golden Gophers, they're not going to be scared of the Washington Huskies. It doesn't matter to them that the Huskies are the, a national seed and a host team. James Landrino's team should be confident. Look at their resume over the last couple of years. I really like their chances to win that regional. Here's the other thing. They could be paired up with the Baton Rouge Regional. So we could possibly have, when we get back on the air on Monday, Dawson, we could have a possibility of having a McNeese-LSU Super Regional matchup or a McNeese-Louisiana-Raging Cajun Regional matchup. And uh, I'm not going to lie to you, that would be pretty phenomenal. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll pull the reins back on that a little bit. I think, it's, I think it's a little bit more unlikely than we would like to say because I do think that Washington team would tell you how different they are since that point. They went through a Pac-12 schedule where they just got better and better. But, yes, I do like the fact that you've seen a team and beat a team. Kevin Foote would say it's a horrible thing because it means they're not going to be able to sneak up on Washington. But, um, yeah, I think it starts with that first game because you have to face Autumn Pease, the uh, Big Ten Pitcher of the Year, and she's been fantastic this season. So, you know, it, it's, it's always about staying in the winner's bracket, especially in baseball. I think in softball it's a little bit more doable just because you can bring pitchers back so easily, right? You don't have to, you know, you don't burn your ace, so to speak, after that first game the way you do in a baseball regional. Um, but I think if you're able to get off to a hot start against Minnesota, then you're going to put yourself in an interesting situation. And Washington, as good as they've been of late, and they have some really top-tier wins against some of the top teams in the country, it's why the committee gave them the number 7 overall seed, because top 10 wins were the only thing that mattered this year. Uh, anyway, <laughs> it's going to be really you know interesting to see if Washington has to play McNeese in this regional and McNeese gets off to a hot start, how much does that doubt set in for the top, you know, the top team in that regional going, man, this team beat us already. We know their pitching is good. Um, we know they're going to have multiple options. Coach, I mean, uh, well, Coach Landrino and Jim Gazzola told us as much that they have multiple options in the circle, and that's kind of similar to the Cajuns Correct. this year, right? It hasn't always been that way, but now there really are some, you know, key differences in the way that they approach their pitching staffs as opposed to years past. So, with all that being said, 
if you're able to get the win against Minnesota to start this regional off, you're going to set up a really interesting rematch against a team that you, on paper, have a really good shot against. Um, but I, I, I would agree with that. And look, we talked about it earlier in the week. I felt the committee did them a little bit of a disservice. And, and look, and, and not because they're in a regional that is impossible to win, because that's not the case. They've already proven they can beat Washington. They've already proven they, they can beat top 10, top 25 ranked teams. They've done it this year. They did it last year. It's that the folks that support this team and support this program aren't going to be able to be there. I, that, I, I know it's a minor thing. I get it. And when you get to playoff baseball or softball, when you get to the regionals, it, they try to keep things as regional as possible. I, I understand that. But look, Coach Landrino doesn't care. His team is not going to care. Right? By the way, this is a team that had one of their best hitters and best players abruptly quit the team and leave the team shortly after that Washington win, by the way. And credit the Cowgirls, they stumbled a little bit, right? But then they dusted themselves off, found their mojo, and regular season championship, conference tournament championship. And now they're the three seed in the Seattle Regional, which will begin play today. So, They got grit, as uh, I'd like to say. It's not going to bother them that they're not going to have that many supporters in the stands cheering them on there in Seattle. But it would have been nice, right? I I get it. I understand. I understand. But that said, based on what they did last year and based on how they faced against competition this year, there's no reason to suggest that they don't have a chance not to win this regional. And and the interesting thing too, again going back to the actual matchup against Minnesota, is that Minnesota is the contrast. They are the more old school approach. They have an ace. She's the Big Ten pitcher of the year, and they're going to go with her. She's got over 200 innings pitched. No one else on their team is even close to 100, um, with the exception of Hambrick, who has 87. So they have one elite pitcher, and they will throw her. Now they'll they might throw someone else here and there in different spots, but for the most part, um, they're going to be the the old school approach, right, of throwing your ace. Probably every significant game they play in this regional tournament and beyond, whereas McNeese and, you know, the Cajuns, LSU even, are all going to kind of mix and match things based on scenarios. you got to have more than one. We've seen it so many times. How many times did we see, for for the Cajuns, Summer Ellison just get tired towards the end because she had pitched so much, Mm -hmm. right? And, and, And that's the danger of it. And look, great collegiate pitchers don't grow on trees. Right. It's not as if you can just go find one, you know, it's, it's not how it works. And so many of these girls are unable to be good college pitchers. So they're they're rare. So Minnesota's got one. They got themselves an ace. The problem is that that's the only one they have. So once again, and I said it this before, once once the regional came out, we said it earlier this week. If they can get past Minnesota, they got a chance. Like, they got a chance because they've proven. And they have a couple of different young ladies they can go out there and throw. And that gives them an advantage. Another contrast of styles, in addition to how they handle their pitching staffs, is how they get it done offensively. Minnesota, 69 home runs hit as a team. They've got, I think, four players with double-digit homers. McNeese has 20 as a team. They've got no one with more than five. 
So McNeese Different is kind of your yep. old school small ball offensively, try and move runners over and create some offense. Minnesota is going to try and take their Saturday night swings and get home runs on the board. So Saturday how does that look? Swings. I well, like see, that. yeah, and my see? high school coach, that was our that was our thing. When you had two zero pitch, you should put your Saturday night swing. That's that's your that's your two zero looking fastball. Everything you got, trying to uh, drive the ball with some power into a gap. Oh, listen, 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 that's deep dive analysis there by our guy, D'Lo. So McNeese begins regional play today in Seattle. Obviously, we've already talked about Raging Cajuns and LSU begin regional play today in Baton Rouge. And we'll see what happens there. Baseball is also wrapping up the regular season. McNeese, you get a great performance from Rogers last night. Limited. Right, they made sure on purpose. Right, on purpose. Right, there's nothing to worry about, McNeese fan. Justin Hill had him on a pitch count, three innings, saving him for the conference tournament. The interesting thing about the three teams that are wrapping up their regular seasons today and tomorrow, that we cover, that we talk about, McNeese, Louisiana, and LSU, is that. McNeese is in the, the one that's in the most curious spot. Overall, they have the best record, I do believe, in the Southland. But they dropped some early series. And now they're going to have to kind of wait to figure out where they're going to be. Now, their game today against Miami of Ohio that wraps up their regular season got bumped up from 1 o'clock to noon over there in the Chuck at the Joe. But they have to wait for all the other conference series to get done to figure out how they're going to be placed and if they're going to have to play on Tuesday or not for the Southland Conference Tournament, which is going to be held right there at the Joe. Joe Miller Ballpark, for those who don't know what the Joe is. So they're in kind of a wait-and-see approach, and they're not playing a conference opponent, so they don't really have control over their own destiny here, right? The Louisiana Raging Cajuns do. Now, they get shut out last night 4 to nothing against Southern Miss. Pretty good pitching performance with the exception of the one inning where they gave up the Grand Slam. Southern Miss has won 14 straight. They are the best team in the Sun Belt Conference by a country mile. But for the Raging Cajuns, you are trying to get yourself in the top four, at least in the top six for the conference tournament next week in Montgomery where they play their conference tournament at the home of the Biscuits. So, if you're the Cajuns, you at least want to try to win one game. Like, you you really need to win one game here against Southern Miss. I think that will lock everything up that you want to have locked up for the conference tournament. Certainly. And, and what, of note, by the way, Southern Miss has a lot to play for, and we talked about that because of the regular season title on the line with Coastal. And that kind of got a curveball thrown into it because Coastal's game with Marshall yesterday was postponed. So that's important. If Coastal doesn't get to play all three games in that series, then Southern Miss completely controls their own destiny as far as winning the regular season championship, right? If they both played full three-game series and they both swept, they would finish tied, and then it would go down to some tiebreakers there. And but Coastal believe, has the tiebreaker advantage because they took two or three But they would Southern be Miss, co-champs right? for as far as the, the way regular season titles work. You don't usually... Correct. You, they'd be co-champs, but, wise. but yeah. for the yes. conference tournament, yes. Coastal would then be the one seed. Um, so so that, ends, you know, that adds some intrigue as well. Uh, as far as where the Cajuns stand today versus yesterday, you did have uh, James Madison and App State both lose game one of their series. So uh, the Cajuns end up sitting roughly where they were before. They're still uh, tied for third, which we knew that they had a full one-game lead. Troy did win to tie them in that third-place spot. But 
as of now, as far as staying in the top six, you currently have a game and a half van- advantage still on JMU, who's 14 and 11. Of course, James Madison, it's going to be weird as well because they have three less games played. So I think all of that kind of goes into goes into that. As actually, no, okay, James Madison, the game that was canceled was Virginia Tech. They're going to play a doubleheader against Georgia Southern as well. So you've got a couple of doubleheaders and games mm. being made up. I think that one was actually originally scheduled anyway. They weren't going to play yesterday, no matter what. So um, there's there's it's too. My point is it's it's not simple yet in the Sun Belt. The Cajuns no. have a lot of different scenarios that are possible. So and your getting best a win bet today is, yeah, would good go a long cl- way. Clears a lot of things up heading into Correct. Saturday. And then finally, LSU. They need extra innings to beat a very mediocre, and I'm being kind, Georgia Bulldogs team. And the bullpen woes are still there. But I'll say this. Thatcher Hurd, who has not been good, he gives up the two home runs there in the bottom of the ninth to tie the game, to extend the game. And Jay Johnson, I think, did the right thing where he says, okay, I'm leaving you out there. Figure it out. And he, after he gave up the two home runs, he settled down. He pitched five strong innings. He gets the win. That's a huge deal for LSU. Because, look, their lineup is amazing, magnificent, phenomenal. Use whatever word you'd like to describe how their lineup is. And they have a great Friday night starter in Skeens. But they're going to need these guys that have been driving, just not riding on the struggle bus, but taking turns at the wheel of the struggle bus to be able to be competent. If they want to win the national title, if they want to get through a super regional and even get to Omaha, guys like Thatcher Hurd and Blake Money and others are going to have to at least be competent. They don't have to be great. They don't even need to be good. They just need to be competent. And if they can do that, LSU can win the whole thing. But if they can't get those guys, because there's too many games for them to play to be able to win a national title, they can't pitch the three guys they have that can rely on. They're going to have to get Christian Little to be not hot garbage. They're going to have to have Blake Money and Thatcher Hurd not give up five runs. They're going to have to if they want to win the national title. I would agree with that. And one more quick note, by the way, on the Sun Belt as we go to break here. South Alabama, with their loss yesterday, they've been eliminated from the Sun Belt tournament. Ooh. A proud program having certainly a down year. That is. Folks in Mobile are not going to be happy about that. Got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up. You want to get your phone calls in? Give us a holler on the hotline. You want to talk McNeese, Louisiana Raging Cajuns, LSU, Astros? You want to talk about Dawson Iserlo's two degrees? We'd love to hear from you. Hotline's open, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language. You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukoraru, Oof. And I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Usawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced <laughs> last night. Me feel 
English? That's impossible. Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. His name is Dawson Arzalo. We know him as D'Lo, a.k.a. the son of Iceman, a.k.a. the producer extraordinaire, a.k.a. Two Degrees, a.k.a. the corrector. Been a great asset to our team here. But let me tell you something. If you think D'Lo is a one-trick pony, if you think he can only talk about Raging Cajuns or the Seminoles of Florida State or college football or baseball, no, my man has layers. We're talking soccer, English Premier League, check. Tennis, oh, what about those tennis world rankings? He can go do a deep dive on that. Golf, oh yeah. And of course, anything involving the Cajun Prairie, LSUE. Oh, and rubbing his race in NASCAR. Well, that's where I was going to go with this. It's pretty cool, too, if you haven't seen it. I know, I know we don't, I don't know. Last time I tried to talk NASCAR, everybody yelled at me, but um, <laughs> it's something that's pretty cool. It's going down. The All-Star Race is this weekend, um, and the All-Star Race was for a long time was at Charlotte Motor Speedway, which is kind of the, uh, the home base, so to speak, of NASCAR, but it was actually moved around a little bit. They did it at Texas, and this year they did something absolutely incredibly awesome. They are going back to North Wilkesboro Speedway. Um, if you've never heard of North Wilkesboro, it's one of the birthplaces of NASCAR, one of the first tracks that they consistently went to. It's in a very small town. Um, it's kind of the only thing around in that town, and it was basically abandoned for a long time, and they ended up leaving there. It was for a variety of reasons. Um, NASCAR, you know, I, I don't think it was a good decision when they did it. That's part of the reason in which I've briefly discussed on the show of kind of when they drifted away from some of their grassroots uh, tracks and areas and things like that. But there was a revival project that was started a couple of years ago, and then NASCAR kind of jumped in and said, we're going to finish that off. There were uh, some – the track was sold and this and that. And they decided to put the All-Star Race on in North Wilkesboro, which has been a huge undertaking. They have kind of completely revitalized the track. I think if all goes well, the plan is maybe they can actually have points races there in the future, uh, regular season races. Once again, which like this is a very nostalgic um, thing for NASCAR fans and a lot of people around. Uh, the, the the track is it was the inspiration. If you've ever seen the movie Cars, what was it Cars Three, where they go to that it was lost, Cars Three, that yes. lost track mm-hmm. uh, that was based, you know, inspired from North Wilkesboro. Like, there's just a lot of cool aspects of it, and I think it's going to be a really cool event this weekend. So I'm really looking forward to that, and and I'm hoping everything goes well with it, and that the future of this track can kind of be revitalized. The only other thing they did with Wilkesboro. Um, back when COVID happened and, and everything was shut down, they did an E-Series, E-Racing on the uh, Simulator Series, and they had North Wilkesboro in that game, so we saw it there, but now we get to see it back in uh, in real life. And it's, I mean, some of the revitalization, they've, they've re- revived the old video board, kept some of the old school features of it, but also kind of, you know, digitized it into the, the modern space, and it's just an awesome thing that they've done. Junior's been a big part of this effort, Correct. It's been a passion project yep. of his. He's been instrumental in getting this 
uh, the revitalization of the track and getting NASCAR to bring the all-star race there. Yeah, and, and Junior actually had a series called Lost Speedways, which I saw. Um, so the first thing that they did was the track was, I mean, overgrown and, and completely messed up. So in order for it to be scanned by iRacing, which is the computer game that runs the simulations, it's a very realistic um, situation where the tracks are scanned in there. They had to go out and clean it up. So Junior essentially brought a crew out there. I mean, they brought weed eaters, and they, they were able to smooth out the racing surface enough for the game people to come in and scan the track. So that's why we saw it in the video game world um, on iRacing a few years ago. And then, yeah, he's kind of continued to be a part of that. I don't know how much of a role he's played in, in the most recent developments, but I, I know he's been in the background at least, and it's just really cool to see. And for a lot of old-school NASCAR fans, they, they felt over the last 20 years that the sport itself – whether it's right or wrong, the perception for a lot of them was that felt like they were abandoned, that NASCAR left their roots to go to greener pastures across the country and left the old traditional tracks in the dust. Now, part of that is because a lot of those tracks were not managed properly, uh, had owners who were not putting money back into their actual properties and weren't keeping up with the times of having actual tracks that were legitimate still. Right, so it, it, it's it's just not old NASCAR. It's but is part of it. Having something like this, the buzz around this has been immense. So much so for a person that didn't even follow the sport all that much, like I do, I've paid attention. That tells you something, and it's it, it's a it's a great thing. Yeah, and and again, that's that's the funny thing about events like this, which we're going to see it later in the summer when they go to Chicago and run the street course for the first time through the streets of Chicago itself. Um, it's all great and, and it has a lot of buzz, but then it turns into does it actually put on a respectable event and, and does everything go as planned? A lot of the issues going into going back to North Wilkesboro were also around the stands. There's not very much space and you know the question was whether or not NASCAR could put this on. It's going to be at, but like this weekend, especially with the first event being back, like there's not going to be an empty seat by far. I mean, it's going to be very difficult to even get in there. But does everything go as planned? Does everything run smoothly? Is the racing at least decent enough to where they can kind of see a future here? I'm hoping all that goes well because I'd love to see this become a part. It's great, too. We had Throwback Weekend last weekend in Darlington, which is one of the original tracks that they have stuck with over the years and have always stayed with. Now you get to see another blast from the past in North Wilkesboro. So that'll be coming up on Sunday, and I can't wait to see how it goes. Quickly, before we have to take a timeout, uh, Salty Steve has asked, Please ask two degrees. What is the uh, molecular weight of rocket fuel? Was that word molecular you were going for there? <laughs> I, I wanted to clarify. I don't know the answer regardless of what the word was, but I just wanted to make sure that's what he said. <laughs> so you don't know the answer? No. All right, Steve, you don't have to uh, break your Alexa. There we go. I mean, look, man, you got a big old brain. You got a big brain, dude. I do have a friend that I graduated with that is a rocket scientist. I'll ask him. And there it is. There it is. Of course you did. Of course you did. You got to take a timeout. <laughs> when we come back, Raging Cajun football legend Tyrell Fenroy will join us, talk about his career and the fact that he went back to school and got his degree this semester. We'll dive into that. That's all coming up next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 
We take pride here on RP3 and Company of having some of the greatest Raging Cajun legends to come onto the show to chop it up with us. We've had Jake DeLome, Brandon Stokely, Damon Mason, Charles Peanut Tillman, among others. Well, now we get to add another name to that list because he was an absolute beast. He earned all conference honors in the Sunbelt Conference, well, every season he played, including as a freshman, where he earned second-team all-conference honors and then would go on to earn first-team honors in 2006, 7, and 8. He was named the Sunbelt Conference Player of the Year as well, and he ended his career with the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, rushing for 4,646 yards and 48 touchdowns. He set a career high in school record in rushing yards with nearly 300 in a single game against ULM. And he holds the all-time rushing record for the Raging Cajuns, surpassing Brian Mitchell doing that, as well as so many other records. And he recently added something else to the old trophy case, a degree from the University of Louisiana at Lafayette. It's our privilege to welcome on the former Doak Walker Award semifinalist, four-time All-Sunbelt honoree and Conference Player of the Year, Tyrell Finroy joins us. Tyrell, good morning, brother. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing good. How's everybody doing? Doing great, man. Doing great. So walk me back through this, man. You're, you know, growing up there in Laplace. You attended St. Charles Catholic. You were an All-State running back, earned uh, All-State honors there as a senior what brought you to come play your college ball in Lafayette? What was it about the Raging Cajun program that appealed to you, and why did you ultimately uh, decide to sign and commit to them? Just the, the, the family atmosphere, like coming from St. John Parish, uh, being around everybody around there, they, they, they appreciate you, they, they love you, they embrace you. So that was one of my main decisions when I, when I chose to come to the Raging Cajuns out here. Cajun country is none other. Uh, is one of the best in the nation. Uh, coming out here playing football, and uh, not that's one of the reasons why I haven't left. Uh, just be, I moved here, started a family here, and it's just that warm embrace of everybody around. They they treat you like like your family. Obviously, family atmosphere was a big reason that appealed to you, and you've stayed here ever since. But football wise, X and O's, did you anticipate? having such a prolific career for the Raging Cajuns, and did you think you would be able to contribute as early as you did as a freshman? Uh, it, it, it crossed my mind when I, when I left St. Charles Catholic. My, my, main, my main goal was I wanted to play immediately uh, coming out of high school. Uh, I didn't want a, a year lapse. I didn't want a red shirt. Uh, so I was, I was given the opportunity to come out and prove myself, and that's all I wanted. I wanted to go prove myself, and I, if myself was proven to be what I expected, then I had the chance to earn the starting spot and try to contribute the best way I can to, to make the team the best they could. Uh, that's all I wanted was the opportunity to, to, to show you know, my ability to the world. What was the moment that freshman season where you thought to yourself, hey, I belong here. I belong at this level. And you know what? I can be really, really good at this level. I probably would say our first home game whenever uh, I got to start. I believe we played uh, Northwestern there at the high school. And 
the, the atmosphere in Cajun Field, uh, being there, coming from high school, being at Cajun Field, seeing all the fans, actually getting the start, and just rolling from there. It was a snowball effect from that that first game, that first time I got in. At that moment, I was like, "This is this. I'm in college. This it's, it's real," and I embraced it. I felt it. I loved it, and I kept rolling. How would you describe your running style back then? Uh, hard nose. Uh, I wasn't into dancing too much. I wasn't into shaking too much. I wasn't uh, one cut and go uh, downhill. I grew up watching Mike Allstott. So, as everybody knows, I had a neck roll on. So, <laughs> and he had a neck roll on. So it's kind of like I felt I loved it. Uh, so my, my, my running style mimicked what, how he ran, hard, hard nose, downhill running. You know, uh, the team uh, there in New Orleans could have used a good downhill runner the last couple of years. I didn't know if you had checked in with them to see if they still needed you because uh, <laughs> I think they could have. Because <laughs> they, yeah, they could have used a good hard nose uh, runner. We're talking with Raging Cajun legend, football legend. Man's had his jersey retired did so before his final game by the way and we'll get to that Tyrell Fenroy joins us here on RP3 and company so I gotta ask you you know you you make the adjustment uh, fairly easily to uh, the college game you earn second team all-conference honors as a freshman but yet you took your game up to that next level the next season and the season after and the season after. Walk us through what your preparation like and what you did in the offseason, which of course is key to have success in college football. What was that like for you? How did you stay razor sharp focused on becoming a great football player? Uh, mainly treating my body right as far as nutrition-wise. putting What you put in your body, uh, how you eat, how you take care of your body, uh, it, it plays a big role. Uh, but not only that, it was just in the weight room, conditioning, uh, lifting weights was a, was also a key part in being able to make sure that my body was would, would hold up to the hits I knew I was going to take during the season. Uh, being at the running back position, you take a lot of your body takes a beating. So in the off season, you want to treat your body right so where you can withstand that beating during the season. So my key was was getting in the weight room, making sure. Uh, I was strong, making sure in condition I was able to uh, go four quarters, uh, being, on, being at Cajun Field, and just working out during the summer. Uh, I didn't go back home. I stayed out here in Lafayette, and I just trained, trained, trained to make sure whenever game one came during the season, I was ready. Well, Tyrell, you know, you accomplished so much throughout your career, and I'm sure you're not necessarily thinking about accolades and like that as you're going through the process. But when you take a step back and you finished up your career and you look back and you go, wow, three-time first-team All-Sunbelt, Sunbelt Freshman of the Year, only the seventh player in Division One history to have four consecutive 1,000-yard seasons. Uh, is that a testament to those, those hard summers you put in and all that training you did to, to think back and go, man, I really accomplished a lot while I was at UL? Almost definitely. Uh, I, I was never a person to uh, look at awards, uh, look at the accolades whenever I was doing the season. Uh, but this goes to show, even when you that kid starting from Little League, starting at Virginia High, going into high school, it just it shows them that the work you put in, the amount of work you get in out of it, it shows during the off season. So if you're there and you're right there and you want to go a little bit extra, go a little bit extra because it's going to show off. At, in the end, so my my account is not only to me working out. I mean, uh, it's my team. 
A lot of my credit goes to my team uh, when I was there. Uh, my offensive line, if it wasn't for them, my my awards wouldn't be there. Uh, but the work I put in off season, it wasn't given. Uh, I earned it, uh, and I'm most appreciative of it. You mentioned your offensive line. What's it like as a running back? I know, of course, quarterbacks have that same type of situation, but what's the relationship like between a running back and their offensive lineman, especially when you're playing at a, at a very high level, such as the Division One college football? Oh, it's actually brothers. Uh, we, 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 we get along. We're family. Uh, without them, uh, they, I rely on them to give me the yards. Yeah, I put in, I put in the hard work, and I put in the – working the off season and during the season and I, I make the cuts and make the moves in the backfield but uh if those holes aren't there if they don't, if they're not putting in the putting in the work uh grinding in the trenches then it makes it uh, 10 times harder for me so they just make my my job 10 times easier uh so that relationship you build a relationship with them during the season during the off season making sure they okay making sure they good because so it's, it's a brotherhood family with them you know, you played at the same time with the man who now leads the Raging Cajun football program, Coach Dez. Uh, what was he like as a teammate back in the day, and uh, uh, how proud are you that he was able to get this opportunity and he's he's trying uh, his best to make uh, the Raging Cajuns uh, keep them as a great program? Oh, it's awesome. Uh, I, I love that Mike uh, got the call up to lead the Raising Cajuns. If anyone know him, whenever he played the Raising Cajuns, he was a leader. Uh, everybody looked up to Mike. Everybody, Mike, when Mike spoke, everybody stopped. Everybody listened. Uh, if we needed somebody to go to, guy to, he was the conductor. He was the conductor not only of the offense, but he was the conductor of the team. Uh, Mike was my he was my quarterback. Uh, so I, I looked up to Mike whenever whenever I was there. Uh, that was my QB one. So. We have a dynamic duo in the backfield. So just to see him in that role now, uh, he the Raising Cages are in a great position with him, uh, knowing that he's there and knowing how he is and the determination and the grit he put in uh, during the season while he was playing is no doubt in my mind that's the same uh, effort that he is contributing to the, the, the coaching staff and to the team that he is leading uh, today. Wrapping up our conversation here with Tyrell Fenroy, Raging Cajun's legendary running back. He joins us here in RP3 and Company. All right, I got to ask you, what was it like for you to have your jersey retired while you were still playing, which is a very rare thing? And what does it mean to you to be considered one of the greatest players in program history, along the likes of Brian Mitchell and Jake Delome and and Charles Tillman? Oh, it's so it's it's surreal. It's still a surreal moment for me. Uh, knowing the the guys that I'm in uh, that category with uh, Jake and, and and Charles and uh, a couple of other guys, but it's 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 surreal. I have three kids now. I have three boys. So when we go back to the game now, I can sit back and sit in the stands and when they see the name up there at Cajun Field, explain to them, uh, you know, how I got there. And uh, I mean, it's I, I get chills every every time I go to Cajun Field and I see my name up there. It's just—it's a humbling moment for me. Um, just, just to just to be in that category, just to, to see the the amount of uh, accomplishment I, I completed while I was at Cajun Field and uh, with the Raging Cajuns. And we'll wrap it up with this: another great moment just happened just recently, where you made the decision to go back to school. You re-enrolled there at the university, and you finished uh, your your workload, so to speak 
to be able to attain your uh, obtain your degree in criminal justice. Uh, what did that mean to you to be able to accomplish that later in life? And what was the kind of uh, genesis, so to speak? What was the motivation to be able to do that? Uh, my motivation was to, if I start something, I finish it. Uh, and I'm always a man of my word. So I gave my parents my word whenever I came out of high school, when I first came to the Raising Cajuns, that I was going to start school and I was going to finish. Uh, yeah, football was my first love, and I wanted to play football, but I, I gave them my word when I went to college, and I was on my scholarship, and I was in school that I was going to finish. So just to show that my hard work and determination is not where I started, but it's where I finished. And it it, it, it was it wasn't an easy task being a, a husband, and being a father and having a job, a full-time job. So just my the, the hard work and determination of going back and, and finishing, uh, it, it shows a lot. Uh, so it's my testimony to anybody else that's out there that is right there at that finish line, regardless of what they might be going through, that just a little bit of push, a little bit of hard work, and the, your support from your family that's there, you can do and you can accomplish, and the sky is the limit. Well, as someone who went back to school and got his bachelor's degree when he was in his mid-30s while getting married and working a full-time job, brother, uh, I know exactly what that's like, and it is a great accomplishment and something you should be immensely proud of. Tyrell, thank you for your time, brother. Uh, congratulations on getting your degree, and best of luck with everything that you're doing, and hopefully we'll be able to talk to you soon. Yes, sir. Thank you all for having me on. It was a pleasure. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, everyone is apparently part of the game family. Brother, 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 brother. Seriously, how many brothers does Ray have? Good morning to you, brother. Back to Ray and all of his brothers, right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, I want to take a moment to thank our guest for helping us wrap up the week in style. James Yasko from the Lima Time Time podcast. Cole Kelly, STM in southeastern Louisiana, star now with the Memphis Showboats. And, of course, Tyrell Fenroy, raging Cajun football legend. My man rushed for 1,000 yards in four straight years. Four straight years. Just got on campus as a freshman and was like, what's up? Cole Kelly went to Turlings. I, don't, I know that's a rivalry. I don't know if you said STM. I'm sorry. I didn't want to get anybody upset in Acadiana. No, that's fine. That's fine. Don't get anyone upset. Eventually, one day we'll get to a point where you don't have to correct me twice or three times a show. I'm really hoping that's the case. Would you like me to stop? Because I can let them. I can that, let the mistakes go. I, can I just, really said. I said STM. I, yeah, he, I heard I STM. Yeah. You sure? Okay. In my brain, I thought I said Turlings. It may be time for a cat scan. Want to thank <laughs> all of our guests. We did have a poll question of the day. Why don't you tell the people the final results there, big man? Uh, well, if I had. If I had them up, I would surely I tell it. you that. I got it. Who will win the Baton Rouge Softball Regional? 61% of you say the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. 39% say the LSU Tigers. No votes for Omaha and no votes for Prairie View. Both of those had question marks. I think that may have caused some confusion there. Robert Duplachan says Louisiana will take it. 
So thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day. Thanks to all who left your comments. Big weekend. Softball regionals. Cajuns. Tigers. Cowgirls. All in action. Baseball wraps up their regular seasons as well. Got the PGA Championship. We didn't even get a chance to get around to the Preakness. It's this weekend too. Jam-packed weekend. And we'll recap it all for you on Monday's edition of the show. But until then... Be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on the game.